We're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. We've been camped out here for quite some time now, but we're getting close to the end. We've got two chapters left, so over the next few weeks we'll be uh, wrapping it up. And, um, you know, as long as we've been in this, so it seems like it's gone kind of fast, kind of like February. I can't believe, like, the month is almost over already. Um, uh, for our family, February is a particularly busy month. We've got, we're loaded with birthdays, so... Uh, my wife's was last week, uh, my son's was earlier this month, my brother, uh, my twin nephews, their birthday's today, uh, and actually my birthday is tomorrow. So uh, yeah, you can leave, there's a, thank you. There's a table downstairs, cash is fine, that's, you know, I'm not picky. Um, uh, I, I'm actually turning 44 tomorrow, and I know most of you, that's a shock, you were thinking maybe late 20s, thank you, Alyssa. I knew I liked you. Um, I, I'm not overly, like, an introspective guy. I, I don't, like, get to a birthday and go, man, you know, where am I at in my life and, and all that stuff. But this year, for some reason, I kind of, I, I did a little bit more of that and um, kind of started thinking about, you know, where my life has gone. And I broke it into to two chapters. There's the 37 years before knowing Jesus and then there's been the last seven years since, since I started following him. And as I was thinking back on sort of that first 37 years, and, and especially like when I was a kid, I was trying to think like, what, what was I really like? And um, I don't know if anybody can relate to me or not, but I was one of those overachieving control freaks, right? Uh, I love tests, you know? Give me tests because I can work really hard on those. Um, and... Uh, uh, we always study hard, just always, you know, follow the rules, make sure that I was towing the line. And if I did that, you know, I, I felt pretty good about myself. Um, there was actually uh, one time I was studying with two friends of mine. I think it was calculus. Uh, and we'd been studying for like, I don't know, two, three hours or something. And my dad's like, listen, you idiots need to go take a break for a little while. So he put us in the car. He took us down to Dairy Queen. Um, by the time he came back out with the ice cream, we had our books out again, and yeah, I, believe it or not, I had friends, um, you know. <laughs> but I, as, as I was kind of thinking back on it, I'm like, all right, besides that being a little weird, like what, why, why was I like that? And what I, I came to kind of realize is that this was a way for me to sort of build my self-worth. It's how I was identifying myself. It was how um, I was kind of controlling things to say, all right, if I, if I follow the rules, if I stay on this, you know, I'm, I'm going to come out ahead. And um, those aren't bad things, but thinking back on it, it's really what I was crafting. That, that, that's what my identity was. It was all wrapped up in that. And that pattern uh, continued throughout my life, uh, definitely in college. Um, and then into you know, my work and, and everything. And, and for the most part, I, I fared pretty well. You know, I got good grades, um, got good jobs, was promoted. For the most part, people liked me, thought I was a pretty nice guy. And I'm like, all right, things are kind of moving in the right direction. Um, but as the years went on, I started noticing that, yeah, there were some positives, but there were a lot of negatives that were creeping up. Um, Instead of feeling more in control, I really started feeling less. Um, I guess maybe this just happens as you get older, but you start realizing things can just be taken away so quickly. 
Um, I think that really hit me when I was working at um, two jobs ago um, for a company that they were reorging like every six months. It didn't matter how hard I worked. It didn't matter, you know, uh, what effort I put into it. You get somebody new at the top and you could be gone. That could all go away. And all of a sudden, that track record of, man, but I, I did all this stuff, it, it realized that really wasn't, wasn't guaranteeing me much of anything. And the, the other thing that, that I realized, too, was anything that threatened kind of my security blankets that I put around me, like, all right, we're going to do this, we're going to follow this, all that should fall in place. I started getting really anxious and stressed out. Like, you started threatening my happy place. You know, that, I, I just I realized at one point that it was my fear of losing control. And what happened over time was, as more of these things started adding up, I started getting, like, this sense of hopelessness. Like, man, this can all be taken away like this. Like, what, what am I really planning for? And it, it really started kind of eating away um, in the back of my head, it started affecting my relationships, you know, certainly with my wife, my kids, at work, my health. And, you know, I may have looked good on the outside, but on the inside, I, you know, I was really struggling. And, and uh, I wrote it down here so I didn't forget. I, I, my doing wasn't working. I was doing all this stuff. But ultimately, I, it wasn't bringing me anything that could really be a lasting hope that I could rest in. And that's where kind of the second chapter of the uneven chapters of my life happened is when the gospel became real in my life. You know, it's when the death and resurrection of Jesus actually started to mean something to me personally. It's when God started stepping in. I think he was probably stepping in during all those other parts too of making me sweat and realize I didn't have control, but there was that point there where he's like, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. And once the gospel became real to me, hope started creeping in. Like real hope that I knew wasn't going to be taken away. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in this scripture. It's how the gospel brings us hope. How the, the death and resurrection of Jesus should bring us tremendous joy and hope. And there's three different things I want to look at today as we go through the scripture. The first is this. Um, you're really going to see that Paul is hammering home, not me, but the guy who wrote the letter, is hammering home the importance of the resurrection. And so that's really where we're going to be focused today. And there's three different things. The first is, why is the resurrection of Jesus so pivotal to there being hope for the world? Then I want to take it a little bit more personal. How does the resurrection of Jesus give us personal hope? And then the last thing I want to show you is that the, the heart of the gospel, the pattern of the gospel, God continues to use that throughout our lives to really transform us, to change us, and to bring us hope in those really hard, everyday situations that we find ourselves in with. You know, anybody have difficult coworkers? If you're not raising your hand, you're the difficult coworker, right? Okay. How, how, do we, how do we find hope? 
how do we find hope in those little things where you just want to shut your door and just, right? How, how do we get through that? And that's what we're going to see, how the gospel can help transform that today. So before we read the scripture, let's just take a moment to pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today. Um, we thank you for uh, your son. Um, we thank you for what he did on the cross and what he did in, in rising from the grave. And my prayer today is that we hear it maybe differently. We hear something new today. We hear something that is going to uh, help us to fall more deeply in love with your son and just really transform us. So I lift this up in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going through the first 11 verses. And the scripture says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance of the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance of the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." You can see it here. He's really focusing on the resurrection. And what I want to do is just take a minute to give a little bit of context. Why? Why at this point in the letter, why was this so important for Paul to point out? Why was it so important for the Corinthian church? Um, if, if you've been here over the last few weeks or months, you know that the Corinthian church was pretty messed up. Um, you know, Paul, right out the gate, is talking to them about all the different divisions that were showing up in the church. And it was coming from a, a, a multitude of different places. You know, in some, uh, they were following one leader over here, over another, and so there was infighting going on. Um, we heard him address people using their freedom, or I guess misusing the freedom that they had in Christ, that it, they weren't using it the right way, and it certainly wasn't benefiting those around them. We also talked about, uh, you know, how there was disorderly and disruptive uh, worship and, and services going on. It just, it was a dysfunctional group of people. And Paul's taken, you know, these 14 chapters leading up to this to address each of those. But where he's landing today is, where's the unity? What should be the unifying thing that should heal all of these divisions? And that's what he's hitting on here. It's the gospel. It's the shared hope that all of them had in the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where he's pointing them to. One of the things that they were finding um, is in the culture where the church was, uh, especially from a Greek standpoint, they just really didn't value 
the physical that much. And, you know, the idea of a risen Savior, just, it, it just didn't click with them. It didn't make sense. And what was happening is the church was starting to let that seep in to the way they were worshiping. And so that's why Paul is really hammering this home here. So let's dive a little bit and see what he's talking about here with the gospel and with the resurrection. You know, for something that we talk about every week, like, oh, the gospel, the gospel, I don't know that we always really define it really well. And I want to take a minute and do that because Paul gives us one of the most uh, succinct definitions of the gospel in verses 3 through 4. And he says this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. It's the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we can say that's it, but it's so much deeper than that as well. And I really would recommend, if you have time this week, take a look at some other sections of scripture so you can really dive into it. The couple that I wrote down, you know, John 3, 16 and 17. Um, if you read uh, Acts 2, uh, the, the sermon that Peter gave at Pentecost, um, and probably the most definitive place in the Bible is, is uh, Romans, the, the other letter, one of the other letters that Paul wrote. If you have time, take a look at those this week, because what you're going to see is there is this recurring theme. However it's described, it always comes down to this. The gospel is the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm repeating it for a reason. If we don't get that, we're not going to get anything else. And why is Paul talking specifically? He's really focusing on the resurrection piece. And he's doing that because that is so key to the message of the gospel. It's so key to us having hope in the gospel. You know, I think we, we tend, um, as Christians, to really focus on the cross. We really focus on Jesus dying on the cross, and we should, rightfully so, because what he did there... He paid the penalty for our sins, a debt that we couldn't wipe out. But we can't forget the other half of it. And I think we can sometimes. We can't forget the resurrection. But again, that's exactly what the church was doing here. And what Paul was saying is, if you're going to downplay that, if you're going to just kind of toss that off to the side, then your faith in Jesus, what's the point? If we don't have a risen Savior, none of the other stuff really matters. And that's what Paul is calling them out here. He's, he's practically screaming to them, this is real. This happened. Jesus is alive. You know, look back. He says this. He, you know, he says, he, just like the scripture said, he, he, he died. He rose again. It said it here. He did it. Look at all the people he showed up to. Uh, you know, first Peter, then the 12, then 500, then James, and so on and so on. He's telling them, Jesus is alive. This is a fact. The resurrection is real. But without, by pushing that to the side, they were missing the core of what they were supposed to be believing in. 
You know, and we have to realize that too. It's, it's a really important message for us that yes, we certainly absolutely remember and rejoice in what Jesus did on the cross. But we have to remember he's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's alive. And if Jesus is alive, man, that changes everything. And it gives us such, such insights into the character of God. I, I said to the first group, I, I had a list probably two pages long. Bridget said, you can't do that. So I, I narrowed it down. But there's a couple things. The risen Christ, what, what this means to us, what we can see about God. One of the big ones I see is God is a promise keeper. Right? He does what he says he's going to do. He said it in the scriptures. He said he's going to deal with our sin. He's going to do it through a Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. He did it. We can trust him. You know, another thing that, uh, that, I, that, that I wrote down as well is the fact that Jesus died and rose again just because he wanted us back means that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. That's why he died on the cross. He didn't need anything else. He was it, it, perfect, in perfect unity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But then he created us, and he wants a relationship with us, and he couldn't have us because of our sin. So when we wanted absolutely nothing to do with him, he came down and died for me. He came down and died for you just because he wanted us back. You know, there, there may be some people here today that are just in a rough situation. Maybe, you know, your, your family's never been that close. You've never really felt loved or you've never felt that you belonged or, or you're just, it, it's a really rough time right now. Think about this. There's a risen Savior who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. You know, the, the last thing I'll, I'll uh, say on this is that the fact that Jesus rose both spiritually and physically also tells us something. It tells us that he values the created world. You know, go back to Genesis. He said he created everything. It was good. Um, you know, in this culture at this time, you know, the physical, it was sort of downplayed, as I was saying before, but, but by, the, by Jesus rising bodily, it tells us this world's important. It tells us we should be kind to each other. It tells us we should be helping the poor. The things that are happening here and now matter. And we see that through the resurrection of Jesus. Like I said, I could go on and on and on with this, and I just encourage you, just dive into the Bible and see what God is telling us about this. But the big thing I want you to take away is the resurrection of Jesus means there is hope for the world where there was none before. But now I want to get a little bit more personal. Let's take this down. How is this impacting us in our own lives? You know, if, if you uh, have made the decision or decide to follow Jesus, right, if you, if you accept that forgiveness of your sins because of what he did on the cross and that he rose again and you turn towards him, what kind of hope can you expect? Again, I had two pages. Bridget told me I couldn't go over them all, so I'm going to give you the, the condensed version. Um, 
But these are some of the things that just hit me and they give me so much hope when I think about them. I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to fear sin. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear any of the hard things that, that hit me day in and day out. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to be tomorrow. Jesus won. Right? He rose. He conquered. We know the end. That's so freeing. There's such a peace that comes from that. Just knowing. It doesn't mean it's not hard in the middle of it. It doesn't mean that, that you're not ready to pull your hair out and you can't see a way out of where you are. But if you know that you are serving and following a risen Christ who is looking out for you and is going to make everything right, you don't have to fear it. One of the other things uh, for me is we can truly love other people. You know, I was... Yeah, I wasn't very good at loving other people in that first 37 years. I was good at putting that mask on and, you know, being kind to people and nice. But that was more so they thought I was a nice guy. I wasn't really extending myself. I wasn't really loving. Because I didn't quite have that capacity within me. But when I know Jesus died for me and rose again because he loved me that much, now I can love other people. You know, it, 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 we, I, I'm not pulling that from myself anymore. He's supplying that to me. You know, the same thing with forgiveness. Um, I, is it, you know, doing the retrospective here, I really thought about it too. And I don't know, before being saved, if I ever really honestly forgave anybody. I'd say it. I'd kind of let it go. But if I had a chance... You know, to be in a situation where I could throw that little jab in and remind you of how you really wronged me and how horrible it made me feel, I'd throw it out there because I was holding on to the hurt. I wasn't willing to let it go. In some cases, I, I really, I wanted it because I wanted to lord that over somebody else. I didn't want to forgive them. I wanted them to know that they hurt me and that I feel justified in the way I felt. But when I think about being forgiven by Jesus, how he saw every part of me, my heart, my mind, my actions, and he still died and rose again for me to forgive me, give me that option to accept that free gift of forgiveness, how can I not extend that to other people? And I'll tell you, there, there have been some relationships that I don't know if any of you have these, but you, you kind of just write them off. Okay, this is just going to be the way it is. Uh, yeah, we'll be maybe superficial and cordial to each other, but it's, it's just never going to be repaired. I can tell you from my own personal experience, when I finally got to the point of being able to forgive that person, not only did I feel better, like it was just like a weight off my shoulders, God repaired that relationship. Like, I have goosebumps now thinking about, like, how it's changed. It's amazing. But that would have never happened unless I gave up. I had it so tightly gripped. And if I wouldn't have extended that forgiveness, again, it came from Jesus knowing how he forgave me. Probably the best of this, if you want to think of anything else that gives you hope, if you're following Jesus, 
God now looks at each one of us when we make that decision to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Here's hope for you. God now sees us just like he sees his son. Where's kids? Every one of us. Where we couldn't even get close to him before, he's now standing there with open arms. Come on in. Talk about hope. That's the eternal God who loves us so much. He wants to give us a hug. <laughs> he wants to love us. He wants to give us everything that we could ever possibly hope for. That's just some of the hope that we have. I'm hoping that a lot of you have experienced that as well. I'm hoping that, that God has shown up in these ways and, and, and given you those moments of hope. You've seen him at work. And I, I think it's, it's been good, you know, preparing for the sermon and, and doing sort of this retrospective and remembering these things. It's important for us to do that. It's important for us to remember. You know, I, I, I always wondered in the Old Testament, why are all these people piling rocks up? Like every time something happens, like, hey, let's pile up some rocks and call it something. Like, what, what are you doing? What is the point of that? It's so they had a physical sign to remember what God had done. You know, start piling up those rocks for yourself. I keep notes in my phone because my memory stinks. But like, wow, here's how God showed up today. When you're looking for him, write them down. Keep track of them, and then you can go back to them because you're going to face hard things again. And as much as he did for you, at least for me, I'm going to go, where are you, God? Because I don't know how I'm getting out of this one. I can go back, and I can remember all these different things he's done in my life. They didn't have to do. Him dying on the cross was way more than I could ever ask for. Him rising again was may, way more than I could ever ask for. But he keeps showing up in these ways. And that gives me so much hope. There's one other thing I want to talk about today. And it, it kind of builds off of what I was just saying there is, how does the gospel, this pattern of the gospel we talked about, the suffering, death, and resurrection, you know, God certainly used that through Jesus to bring us salvation, but how does he use those three things, suffering, death, and resurrection, to bring us hope in those everyday painful situations that we run into? And I think probably the, the Apostle Paul is one of the best uh, examples that we can look at of this. You know, if you know a little bit of his history, he was, you know, one of the top guys in the Jewish faith, the Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy knew the Bible inside and out. He did everything right, all the laws, like he was on it. He was what I had hoped to be when I was younger. Like he, he was just on top of everything. Talk about an overachiever, right? So much so that when he saw Christians coming out, he was persecuting them. Right? He was trying to stamp out the church. He, he said it. And then he met Jesus. Opened his eyes. Changed the way he saw the world. From there, you think, okay, hey, met Jesus. Maybe life's going to be great. It was not. Read Acts. This guy went through more than probably anybody. Um, and, and, and his faith in God grew in the suffering and in those many deaths, 
those things that God wanted him to get rid of, those things that, you know, all, all that knowledge, all that, that religiosity that he was relying on, right? He had to put that to death and depend and rely on Jesus. And not only did that have a huge impact on him personally, here we are talking about his letter 2,000 years later, right? Talk about how God uses that stuff to bring resurrection, to bring redemption, to bring hope. You know, just listen to, to Paul's words here in verses 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And one other uh, from his letter to the Philippians in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says this, I know, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It was these moments of suffering, these mini-deaths, and these resurrections that brought Paul contentment, comfort, joy, and hope. God can do that exact same thing with us, and he does. It's how he works. You know, I, again, I'm hoping you experience, I know I have, um, especially since being saved, um, I kind of had that thought I said earlier, this is great, I'm following Jesus, sweet. You know, bank accounts should start looking good, marriage should start rolling the right way, work should just kind of, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, and a lot of it was, again, how much he loves us, there was an awful lot in me that still needed to be broken down. There were a whole lot of mini deaths that needed to happen that were keeping me separated from Jesus. Uh, Pride, absolutely the biggest one. And apparently it's a pretty big one because those many deaths have to keep on coming. Apparently I'm stubborn, um, along with other things. And it's not easy going through it. You know, there's definite suffering. There are things I did not want to let go of. You know, in our marriage, there was a point where uh, I, I could really start to understand why people, you know, once the kids graduate, okay, we're just going to go our different ways because things were just grinding. It, it, it may not have looked like that, but it was just, it wasn't good. One of the things that I had to, to make die was my pride. It was me wanting to be right. It was me wanting to get my point across. It was, it was me not loving my wife like I should have. And God had to bring me real low Unfortunately, several times until I finally got it. But once I did, our marriage has never been better. We renewed our vows a year and a half ago, two years ago now. And she really is my best friend. Like it's, 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 it's not even that he just healed it. It's so much better. It's awesome. That's the kind of hope that God brings he can redeem, he can resurrect all of those mini-deaths 
I think it was one of the big lessons I learned, and it took me a while to learn it, is just after being saved, the gospel doesn't stop at salvation. All right? The gospel doesn't stop with Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins. It keeps going. It's the risen Jesus. It, it's, it's the Messiah who's not on the cross anymore. It's the Messiah who's not in the tomb anymore. And we have to live in that. You know, it's, it's that suffering, the death and resurrection that God uses to bring us closer to him and move us further away from our sin. I want to close with just a simple question for you today. Do you have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus in your heart? Does it actually mean something to you? Is this something that is just part of who you are, of what you understand the gospel to be and the impact it's making on you. If you don't, if you're not at that spot, we say it every week, today's the day. You've heard the gospel. You've heard what Jesus has done. You've heard that he's died for your sins. You've heard that he rose from the dead. He's a trustworthy, loving God who wants you back. He wants to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do is, is just let him know. You can say it right there in your seats today. Turn to him. Ask for his forgiveness. For those of us who are following Jesus, I want to ask a, another question too. Are you allowing him to use that suffering, death, and resurrection in your everyday lives? Are there things you're holding on to? Is it your pride? Is it your willingness to want to be right? Whatever it might be. I want you to just take a couple of moments here. I know often we don't get just a few quiet seconds, let alone a minute or two. But I want to offer that to all of us here today. As the band comes up, I want you to just take a minute or two and think about this. What does a resurrected Jesus mean in your life?